Hello. This week, I interview Kirsten Rogers, aka Miss Marmite Lover, to find out about her desert island dishes. Kirsten launched the UK's first underground restaurant way back in 2009, when 12 complete strangers paid her to cook for them in her living room. Her underground restaurant became a weekly occasion, and since then, hundreds of restaurants have followed Kirsten's lead as supper clubs have sprung up all over London and all over the world. As the creator of the multi-award-winning food blog, Miss Marmite Lover, Kirsten has also written for The Guardian, The Independent, and she's the author of four books. Kirsten is full of energy, and I hope you enjoy her Desert Island Dishes. So I have to say, I'm really jealous of your argo. Have you always had that? Um, I put it in almost two, 10 years ago. Okay. And funnily enough, well, it's the most expensive thing that I've ever bought apart from my mortgage. Sure. Um, <laughs> I, in fact, how I afforded it is I added it to my mortgage. Oh, okay. Oh, that's a good idea. I know. Yeah. Wait, so did you have it before you started the supper clubs? Um, I, I got it just before. It was kind of... You know, I think sometimes timing is everything in life. And I, I'd always wanted an Arga because of various, like I had sub- subsidence or subsidence. Okay. Um, and I had to have my kitchen redone. So I thought this is the time to fork out the money for an Arga. I've yes. always wanted one. Definitely. And so I got that done. And, and basically within six months, I'd started my underground restaurant. <gasps> but it's a really different kind of cooking. So yes. did you find that like a challenge at the start? or? Uh, the only thing I found a challenge was... Because it's so silent and you can't, and it has produces no smells. Yeah, because eighty percent of the cooking you do in the ovens, not on top. Sure, um, you know you'd find fossils a week oh, later yeah. that you oh, completely yeah. forgot about. Found fossils, <laughs> them so yeah, I mean basically, I, but I love cooking on it. I I would never be without an alga now. Yeah. Uh, wherever I move, I, I, I would feel terrible if I didn't have an Arca. It's it's a relationship. It's yeah, not definitely. just an oven. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's going to be the quote of the podcast. And um, so how did you come across the idea of blogging and then actually go about starting your blog? I met some bloke in the street who was doing a... <laughs> All good stories start with that. <laughs> who was doing a gay blog, a gay London blog. And I was like, well, that's interesting this newfangled blogging thing yeah that was about 2005 and 2007 I went out for New Year's Eve and I had a terrible evening as New Year's Eve's out yeah always are always generally end up sobbing in the toilets yes. New Year's is, Eve in general yeah it's always terrible don't go out <laughs> only go to a supper club on New yeah. Year's Eve <laughs> this is a safe place yeah this one preferably <laughs> but basically I just Came home, I'd been a single parent for a long time and I was with my daughter and I just felt so lonely and miserable. I just was fiddling about on my laptop and I just somehow created a blog, you know. And then I just, I felt obviously, obviously I had no readers. I didn't know any about anything about the food world. Yeah. I didn't know that there were other food blogs. So my first blog actually wasn't specifically about food. It was about bringing up a, a child in London okay. as a single parent. That, yeah, I actually, I wanted to ask you about that. But before we get on to that, okay. let's talk about your first dish of the day. Okay. Kirsten, it's the dish that most reminds you of your childhood. Oh, God. Marmite on toast. Ooh, okay. That's a great one. I think... <laughs> 
Yeah, because um, my whole family are Marmite on toast fiends. Okay. It's a family thing. Yeah, so the Marmite thing goes in the family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's genetic. Yeah. So basically, I mean, we we just, me and my brother and sister, when we got home from school, we'd just go through an entire loaf. Okay. Oh my God, that's so easy to do. <laughs> what are your thoughts on having Marmite on toast as your soldiers for a boiled egg. Yeah, I think that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm fine with that. But normally I, I just like to go straight for the Marmite okay, toast. Yeah. No, I bother with the egg. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, as you were saying, I was also doing a little bit of digging on your blog. Yeah. And I saw that it wasn't initially recipe. Blog. Yeah, yeah. So how did it evolve? Into so it was terrible dates. <laughs> things like that yeah, it was just, just it, my, my kind of horribly messy life it was me trying you know I was actually frightened to write yeah I was terrified I was just like I don't have the right to write I'm a photographer you need some special certificate or a degree or somebody saying you're a good writer yeah. to be able to write actually that's bullshit anyone can write it's just the more you write the more you find your voice Definitely. and that's the great thing about blogs no one's listening so far you know in the beginning yeah no one's reading it all for a while yeah <laughs> quite, yeah um started to get some feedback within about six months oh, no, that, i wasn't talking about you i was talking about me <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> no, right, but, yeah about six months. by about well what happened is i started i had a terrible love life I was heartbroken by some uh, yet another guy dumping me. Ugh. At that point, I hadn't given up, which I have now. Okay. Um, <laughs> but that's quite good fodder for a blog. blog well, material. you know, you always write better when you're miserable. Yeah. <laughs> you can't even be bothered to write when you're happy. You know, too busy shagging, aren't you? And being happy <laughs> when you're miserable. <laughs> my life. So how did it evolve? into recipes well so i started you know due to heartbreak i started volunteering as a cook at this vegan anarchist co-op restaurant okay. in hackney called pogo's yeah. which was a, an amazing place although they spent the whole time falling out and creating new factions it was all very left-wing anarchist okay so i started one day a week there and then i became a chef there I thought the food there was quite uneven. There were some really good cooks and there's some not so good ones who yeah. were just doing it for the whole vegan lifestyle thing. And I just realised, I just was doing it and I thought, I'm home. This is what I love doing. Oh, that's such a nice feeling. It was such a great feeling. It's like when you've met the one. Yeah. The food is yeah. the one. <laughs> it definitely is. <laughs> and I just felt my broken heart was healing by me cooking for other people and creating new dishes. So I started writing about recipes. And then a lot of the early ones, you know, mid-2008 are... I can tell you, you did a tart tartare and some raw vegan chocolate. Those yes. are the first recipes. Ah, uh, well done, you. Yeah. Done your research. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so let's talk about the second dish. The first which, dish you learned to cook. Yeah, the first dish you learned. It was, when I was four years old, it was chocolate butterfly cakes. Oh, what, wait, as in a fairy cake? With the with sponge the, on the top. Well, with the it's I just it's totally ingenious. It's yeah. like cake origami, yeah. isn't it? It's, <laughs> they slice off the top and cut it in half and make those into two wings on top. So four years old, you yeah. were baking fairy cakes. And I remember doing this at school. This was a school lesson, and I was wow. like, I love this. This is great. I can make my own cake. Yeah. I'm self sufficient. Well, this is all I need. I'm done with school now. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So I then 
then got obsessed with making cakes and was get up early in the morning before school and turn on the oven and make cakes every morning. Oh my God, that's so sweet. <laughs> Your family must have loved. Well, my mum loved it until I put a red plastic bowl in the oven and it dripped oh, all over a new oven. Oh, no. <laughs> then I was stopped from making oh. cakes. <laughs> you only make that mistake once. I think I definitely had a bad experience when I was younger with the giblets in the bag that the inside <gasps> check it. Why oh. do they do that? I don't know. Like, that must happen to loads of people. Yeah, I know. It's just, just, just like to clarify, that wasn't when I was a professional chef. <laughs> Way before then. <laughs> Moving on, Kirsten, just before we start talking about the restaurant, and mm. um, I just want to know, because I'm nosy, what yeah. has been the most popular recipe or the most popular blog post on your blog so far? Two, how to make your own Marmite, Ooh. which took 10 days. Oh. <laughs> uh, yes, that was... You know, I don't think anyone else has ever done that. No, they just like reading about it. Yes. <laughs> and the other one was how to make hash brownies. <laughs> that's that's that enduring popularity in evergreen readers. Okay, so talk to me about the underground restaurant. I want to know obvious question of how it all came about, but I also want to know that when you started it, did you realise what you were doing was something bigger than just what you wanted to do? Did you realise it was the beginning of some kind of movement? I always intended it to be a movement. Oh, wow, that's amazing. Oh, that wasn't the answer that I thought you were going to say, so that's so cool. Okay, yeah, no, that's that was actually why I always wanted to happen and worked hard to make it happen. And you did it. And I did it. Congratulations. And as a result, now I've got tons of competition. I lo- created lots of competition for myself. <laughs> that's the ideal business model. <laughs> but, yeah... Uh, it's gone well and it's gone not quite as I planned. Okay. The movement thing. Okay. So, t- wait. So, first of all, I read one of the ways that it came about was like you said, you wanted to start a restaurant, but obviously that's very expensive. Yeah. You also had children. So, it was kind of finding a middle ground as to yes. how you could do what you wanted to do. Yeah. So, that all seems to to make sense but how did you decide that that's what you were going to do and then actually do it a few years before i started i'd been to cuba where i went to paladaris home restaurants okay. in people's houses i went to one actually the food was terrible oh. <laughs> the food in cuba's not that great to be honest partly because of you know the boycott and all that yeah but yeah so i wanted to do it immediately when i came back from that trip but that time blogging hadn't really started and i just thought i don't know how i'd let people People know and I yeah. had a very young child at that time and I just I just kind of lacked the bottle to do it at that point yeah but it was something I had in my head well because it's scary to do something new and especially as a woman on your own yeah I mean women on their own single women don't even really do dinner parties yeah that's single so mums don't do dinner parties wow that is so true well you know you normally have one person's out there pouring the drinks welcoming yeah. the guests and one person in the kitchen yeah that's, that's so a couple true. so it kind of takes a certain amount of balls to actually even have a dinner party no that is definitely a good um and i think single parents in particular you know they're so run off their feet and they've got kids to look after and all that stuff and also having a dinner party costs money well yeah no, money. it really does i know and so i did do dinner parties but you know i don't you know, even just a simple thing with a couple of mates you, you find you're spending you know 100 quid yeah and often you i don't know maybe i'm the only one that does this but you suggest a dinner party because you think maybe that's cheaper than going out but then yeah. you actually end up paying for everyone because Absolutely. you're cooking <laughs> like... and i never got invited back <laughs> that was another no. thing because there's dinner party givers and dinner party takers yeah, like life i think that's a good <laughs> yeah yeah and some people are like this is great 
you know, but hey, I don't know. I don't want to do this. I don't want to put myself through this. So it's kind of a thing. It's like a, you know, it's like being a feeder. Yeah. I'm a feeder. So you found a way to be a feeder and give dinner parties, but also get paid for it. Well, at least not lose money on yeah. it. <laughs> okay. Is that a more accurate representation? <laughs> so, but it costs doing it for money adds pressure definitely and it's frightening even more frightening definitely i mean i don't get phased by doing a dinner party now for friends or family which some people do people get nervous about entertaining but doing it for people when they're paying money and could complain or get annoyed with you you know it adds all kinds of pressure put it this way before i started the supper club i had extremely low blood pressure now i have (laughs) high blood pressure as probably most chefs do yeah i think you're not alone in that right so Kirsten, moving on to your third dish of the day. What is the best dish you've ever eaten? God, it's where to start. There's so many. <laughs> it's hard to narrow it down. I know I'm asking all these questions. I don't know if I know the answers. Yeah, to yeah. I mean, kind of the first thing that popped into my head. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about when food tastes really good is partly how you're feeling yeah and it's like if you're really hungry or you haven't been able to cook for yourself for a while yeah you know like i love going to restaurants i love being on holiday but sometimes you get sick of other people's cooking yeah you just want your own cooking so i would say like when i get back from holiday i want one of two things i want my own pasta with tomato and garlic sauce or so yeah. spaghetti with yeah. tomato. and it's quite simple but i can literally do it with my eyes closed okay and everybody says it's brilliant i know it's one of those common dishes but i do it really well or i want an indian okay and what would you go for i like mata paneer i like bombay potatoes sagaloo pilau rice oh my god um, my mouth is yeah right <laughs> cucumber writer uh peshwari naan you know something with yeah all but the good stuff. yeah all the yeah. good stuff it's obviously it's vegetarian mostly yeah yeah that sounds amazing good answer Kirsten. so i read that the guardian sent someone the first night you opened yeah. the supper club yeah obviously that's amazing it's also of course, very stressful. So stressful. But how did you manage to get the word out there to so many people about what you were doing? Because social media was relatively new. Yeah. And I just wondered, you've done so well at marketing what you're up to, even back then. Yeah. How? I think there's an element of I'm a natural marketeer on a level because i'm not trained people have asked me yeah marketing people have come here and pr people come here are you a professional marketer and i'm like no i just i'm just a big mouth and i just (laughs) talk to everybody about what i'm doing all the time so it's kind of a natural thing i want to communicate what i'm doing yeah so how i did it first of all is because i'd started this food blog and i didn't think anyone was reading it i mean when i got to sort of 10 views in a day i was like yes fist pump yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah i know that feeling you know like 100 viewers 100 readers a week oh my god you know so exciting i'm gonna be a millionaire yeah i'm like i've arrived i'm the guardian to call me and ask me to take over from jay rayner <laughs> of course that never happened but yeah so I, I had this blog and i just mentioned i just put it on the blog i'm gonna start a restaurant in my living room and all these people commented saying, I'd like to come. In fact, more people wanted to come than I could fit in. I decided that's, to keep it quite that's amazing. small the first time. It was an idea that whose time had come, I feel. And so, yeah, about 15 people wanted to come for the first one. That's, that is amazing. And do you think that back then, even though it was new and strange and 
social media was like a fledgling thing. Yeah. Because there were less of you speaking. Yeah. It was it was kind of easier absolutely. to be heard. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So how have you found <laughs> to get really deep, but how have you found like the evolution of social media? Like how has that affected yeah. what you're doing? Yeah. It's very difficult. I mean, now, you know, before I was a big voice in a small pond, yeah. as it were, because I'd also around, um, I'm not a particularly techie person, but mid 2008, I'd worked out how to, I started on Twitter, of course, had no followers. Yeah. And no, I was just like, what's the point? Because when you've got no followers, you think, what's the point of being on Twitter? Yeah. You yeah, don't so understand true. it. Though Stephen Fry followed me <gasps> very early on. The first, the first million, I think he followed everyone back. Oh my goodness, I can't believe he was very generous. And actually, you know what? I got pissed off with him. I was like, he never stops tweeting my entire timeline full of bloody Stephen Fry. (laughs) I think I unfollowed him. Oh my God. I love Stephen Fry. Well, I think just because that's what often when people have very small following, I don't follow them back. It's not because I'm being snobby. Yeah. It's like thinking I'm going to drown their timeline oh, and it's going to be boring, boring for them. So, oh, yes. yeah. Um, so, so I was on Twitter. So I started linking my blog posts, announcing my events on Twitter. And Twitter was so exciting, first of all. 2008, 2010, it was fantastic. Now, I'm disappointed with Twitter. I still think it's brilliant in fast-moving news situations, but it had just a cacophony of marketing Mm -hmm. from everyone. It's now become corporate. Uh, There's promoted tweets. Uh, There's, you know, you've got... Frankly, a lot of boring people on it. Yeah. Everybody's selling themselves and no one's talking to each other. That's interesting. Everybody's marketing into the void. And, you know, I had conversations on it, first of all. Yeah. And I got to know lots of new people and lots of journalists were on it. And so lots of interesting, intelligent, funny people, people that organically grew a Twitter following because they were interesting, not because they'd appeared on some bloody reality show. And actually had nothing of interest to say, <laughs> but just being, you know, promoted by TV or whatever. Yeah. So it was so, it was like going to a great dinner party, first of all. Yeah, that, oh, that's a really interesting analogy, yeah. And then, of course, some of those people who would then come to a real dinner party yeah. at my place. So I'd have whole tables of, you know, Twitter handles talking to each other in real life for the that's first time. So nice that it actually felt like a real community, both online and yes. offline. yeah. Well, that doesn't bring us perfectly to the next dish, but I think as good a time as any to ask you what your favourite sandwich, sandwich is. <laughs> That's a tough one. Uh, I, know. <laughs> I would have said a smoked salmon bagel. Yes. Is that a sandwich? Yeah, yes. Okay. Definitely, uh, yes With lemon and black pepper and cream cheese. And good smoked salmon, like not to... I don't like fatty smoked salmon. I don't like it when the veins have got big veins of oh, fat. Yeah. I know the Japanese love Fat. Yeah, I don't. Not a fan of I like it lean. In okay. fact, I like my own home smoked salmon best. Oh, obviously, so. that's incredible. <laughs> so, Kirsten, you've written four books, yeah. which is amazing, and they're all amazing. I don't know if you do read your own reviews, but I spent quite a lot of time on Amazon, and it's literally rave reviews across the board. The um, odd slaggy one. No, I really, I didn't come up with. Oh, it. really? No. But so that does mean that you do read them. So of the four books that you've written, which is your favourite and which has been the best received? I think the first one is the best received to a certain extent because I think always your first book is something special. Yeah. Because it's got years of pent up 
foodie stuff that you want to say in yeah. that first book. So it's very meaningful. It was also very upsetting doing it. It wasn't. It's not an unalloyed joy because the publishers think it's their book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. outrageous. <laughs> yeah, the editor thinks it's their book, and the art director thinks it's their book, and the photographer thinks it's their book. And I, I, I didn't agree with all the styling. I didn't agree with lots of things. It, it's like personal. It mm. hurts. Yeah. when things are not quite as they were. And I, they got a photographer in who I liked, and then the editor made me feel as if I would be unwelcome on the shoots. Oh, no. And I, I literally spent a day in bed feeling suicidal. Oh, no. I, I literally wanted, I just wanted to kill myself. Oh. I was just so upset. And so I went for a couple of hours the first day and felt really unwelcome on the shoot. Oh. And that I, I don't think that was the photographer. I think this was the editor trying to control everything okay. and keep me out. And I started as a photographer. Oh, yeah, of course. So it's just right. Oh, yeah. So was there ever the option that you could have done the photography or was that? Well, no, I don't think so. And I don't think my food photography would have been up to scratch okay. probably the first book. I did shoot my second book. And then I realised as well, it was really hard work yeah, shooting my, and styling my second book. My daughter helped me with the styling. She's a very good stylist. It, it, it's really hard work. Because normally when I did my third book, Vias for Vegan, I the, another photographer was chosen, not me, which hurt me. Yeah. And but she was an excellent photographer, Jan Baldwin. And I got to see, I got to stay. I insisted. Maybe they didn't want me there. I was there all ten days of the shoot. I I squatted there. Yeah. And I didn't move. And you know what? If you're an author, do that. When it, if you're getting a book done, be a bastard. <laughs> well, be, in a nice way. So were you pleased, even though some of the experiences of, of actually, you know, getting the book out there with the four finished books, are you happy pleased with, with all of them? Yeah. I frankly I I flinch at all of them. Oh no. I think you do, it's your own work. And you're just like, that's, oh, I wish I'd done that differently. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. that's true. But then that's what the next book's for. It's sort of Yeah, you just feel every time you learn a bunch of stuff, you think, I won't do that again. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a completely natural. I'm sure that's how everyone feels. And I get annoyed the the V is for Vegan one, they edited so much out of it. They edited a lot of my controversial stuff out of it. Okay. Because I, I suppose I am very outspoken and controversial. Yeah. Re- really? Really? <laughs> yeah. I haven't picked up on I that. I just think life's more juicy that way. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and I, yeah, I mean, that's what you've made a career. Like, that's why. Yeah. Or... And then they, even all my books, they kind of cut back on that. Mm. Maybe because some of it's libelous. <laughs> and I guess, but I guess that's the beauty of having your own space on the internet is that there yes. is no editor. Yeah, yeah. And so maybe that's just where the con- like it's always going to be a, di- a bit different when it's in print. Yes. Right, Kirsten, your fifth dish of the day. <laughs> I want to know the dish that you eat the most, most often. Well, it was the spaghetti with tomato sauce. Okay, well, that's okay. How often? And then, of course, there is the marmite toast. It's all sounding quite limited, isn't yeah, it? But uh, nowadays, I don't know what I eat most often. I go through stages of different things. Like, at the moment, I'm eating a lot of crisp bread because yeah. I've just had my Swedish chef friend, yeah, over. And in Sweden, they eat crisp bread for breakfast every morning, and you just think, ooh, a horrible experience. Like, why would you <laughs> want to do that to yourself? What do they have on top of it? And they have slices. They all, they're all they obsessed in Holland and Scandinavia with 
cheese slices. Oh, okay. And they do thin slices of cheese on their crisp bread with butter and maybe a few slices of cucumber or whatever. Ooh, I and think they could definitely get on board with well, that. Well, but when I was in Stockholm recently, we had it every morning. I was like, you know what? I'm getting into this. Yeah, I think that sounds nice. So... Just out of interest, I want to know what was the first thing that you cooked on your first supper club? Like, how did you decide what you were going to do? I decided to do stuff that I'd cooked a million times before. Good because you, you have such nerves, first of all. Yeah. So it's best to be safe. I still screwed stuff up, believe it or not. <laughs> what, what went wrong? The chocolate mousse. I just mucked it up. And, and it was so simple. I had to throw it away and start again. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> it just wouldn't settle. I can't remember what it was. Just everything was a bit wrong. Mm. And it's so just... were there a few teething problems, like finding out how much to charge people yeah. and like the you know break-even point and then how you actually make a profit? Yeah. How long did you do you think that took? A few weeks. I had to keep putting my prices up. Yeah. I mean, people have got this bizarre idea that a um, home restaurant should be cheaper than a normal oh restaurant. I know. And yet your, your prices are actually should be much higher because you're just doing it as a one-off. Everything, I mean, me, everything is cooked from scratch. Yeah. If you've got ice cream, it's not from the shop. And nothing is ready-made. I'm making everything, the bread, the crisp bread, everything. I, so it, it's, and you've just got one set of people. You can't sell on those dishes the next day. Yeah, no, it's so true. So first of all, I had a lot of wastage as well. So that wasted money. I would just end up with tons of food and have to live off it all Yeah, I know, I know that feeling well. Um, so I guess... Another dissimilar question, the mm-hmm. sixth dish of the day. What is your go-to dinner party dish? Which I guess, obviously, doing what you do is a difficult Yeah, question, I do. But... You know, every single one of my supper clubs is kind of tends to be themed and they all have different food. Okay. That keeps me entertained. Yeah. So my go-to dinner party dish? I guess maybe, maybe for you, you could answer this question in terms of a dish that you just can rely on and you know is super simple and you could recommend it to other people if they were having a dinner party. Uh, do you mean like if I'm trying to impress people or I'm just sitting down with friends or what's easy or... It can be entirely up to you. So however, I know obviously for you because you run professional yeah. supper club, so it's whatever. I mean, obviously, if I'm sitting with friends, I mean, that's the great thing about Middle Eastern food, you know, dips and salads. You can prepare them all beforehand yes. and then you can just keep going. I think that... This obviously is not all about me, but that would be my number one tip for dinner parties is like preparing everything ahead so yeah. that you're just doing finishing touches when people are there. And I think if you're impressing people, you know, things like homemade bread. Yes. Good butter. Great ingredients. Lovely tomatoes in a salad. Yeah. Quite simple stuff that's the best. Yeah, definitely. Spending money on simple. And also another thing that people always love, whether it's a supper club or a dinner party, is a great cheese board. Ooh, yes. You yeah. know, you, you can never impress people more than nature. Also, a cheese board is just something that you just don't spoil yourself with at home, is it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe some people do, but it's quite extravagant. It's an extravagant thing, yeah. yeah. And and cheese is expensive, yeah. as it should be. So, you know, something that a cheesemaker has made, you know, no Michelin star chef is ever going to do anything better than a great cheese, I don't think. That's a very interesting <laughs> point. So what, from all of your books, I feel like I have got a good idea of this, but yeah. what? how would you sum up your philosophy about food? For me, I regard myself as a creative home cook. 
Yeah. I'm experimental. I like to do new, interesting things. I, I'm an ingredients fanatic. I'm always collecting new ingredients from all over the world at whenever I travel. So it's not conventional. It's not mumsy food. No. But it's, it's creative. But at the same time, I'm basically a peasant and I don't, really like fine dining okay well that's a yeah that's a delicious philosophy <laughs> <laughs> and so Kirsten we're on to the seventh and final dish which is the last dish you would eat before being cast off to the desert island this is a different question from death row dish isn't it no it kind it kind of is death row dish but it's less morbid because maybe <laughs> you, you can come back from it. the desert yeah, because after that, I mean, once you're on the desert island, assuming the desert island's going to be tropical, well, or that's... not going to be in the North Sea. Yes, <laughs> let's say it's a tropical island. So yeah. you're going to have a lot of coconut. Yes, yeah, I'll give you coconut. Yeah. <laughs> but the last dish I would eat, probably an Indian. Okay. Or maybe spaghetti vongolay. Oh, why not both? Because it's your last meal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and would you have a pudding? Of course. Yeah, obviously, what there is no oh, what, what to have is pretty so difficult. But I mean, I like sour cherries, sour cherry clafu tea or an apple crumble. Oh, yes. Rhubarb crumble. Oh, all three. A trio. Yeah. <laughs> and there we have it. Thank you so much for letting us hear your desert island dishes, Kirsten. Thank you very much for asking me. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. <laughs> So that's the end of another episode. I hope you enjoyed that. I'm finding it so interesting speaking to different people and just finding out about the food they love and what it all means to them. I hope you are too. (laughs) If you haven't already, do subscribe to this podcast. It really, really helps. And come and say hello to me on Instagram. I'm at madebymargie. And I will see you next time. Well, I won't see you, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Have a good week.